Did Jesus want us to remember him through the material symbols of bread and wine, or did he want us to adopt a mindset? This is the Bible Speaks to You podcast, episode 122. Today we're talking about the spiritual meaning of the Lord's Supper. You're listening to the Bible Speaks to You podcast. I'm James Early, your host, and this is the place to be to rediscover the original Christianity of Jesus. Each week, we talk about how Jesus wanted us to think and act and pray and live our daily lives. And we dig down into the mindset of Jesus to discover how we can think and act like he did. The goal is to experience more of Jesus' promise that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hey there, and welcome again to the Bible Speaks to You podcast. I'm so grateful you're listening today. Today we're going to be talking about the spiritual meaning of of the Lord's Supper and how we commemorate Jesus today through communion. The night before Jesus was arrested, he was observing the Passover meal with his disciples. And while he was still at the table, he uttered some words that still guide us today in the way we honor and remember Jesus. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all relate the event in pretty much the same way. John shares a completely different incident that happened at that meal. Here's what Matthew says, and you've heard these words many times. This is Matthew 26, 26 through 30. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And you know what happened after that. Mark's account is almost exactly the same. It's almost word for word. But Luke adds one little detail that the others omit that Jesus said in reference to drinking the wine and eating the bread, do this in remembrance of me. And we'll talk about what doing this means in just a bit. And so, down through the ages, the Christian church has endeavored to honor Jesus' request to remember him by what we call communion, or the Eucharist breaking bread and drinking wine in memory of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and the new covenant God has established with mankind through Christ. This practice was part of the early Christian church, and we see this in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. This is 1 Corinthians 10:16. First, I'll read from the King James Version. The cup of blessing which we bless Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? 
We hear that word communion so much, but what does that word really mean? I used to think of it as being in community with fellow believers and that we're all together. And the word can mean that in a particular context. Listen to how the New International Version of the Bible translates it. Again, 1 Corinthians 10.16. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? That gives a little bit different perspective on it, doesn't it? The word translated either communion or participation is the Greek word koinonia. It means communion or partnership, participation. So what does it mean then to participate with Jesus in his blood and in his body? Does it mean we literally drink his blood and eat his flesh? He actually used those words in talking to his disciples as well as others who listened to him as he preached. This is in John 6, 51 through 56. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Well, that got his listeners' attention. They were trying to figure out what he meant, and they took it literally. Verse 52 says, The Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They thought he meant it literally. But Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. I'll ask the question again. What does it mean to eat and drink Jesus' flesh and blood? Does he mean this literally? No, not at all. If he had meant it literally, sorry to get graphic here, but he would have had to cut himself, put some of his actual blood in a cup, and passed it around for his disciples to drink. And there are certain cultures around the world that do that sort of thing, but that's not what Jesus was talking about. I'm not going to describe what it would mean for us to literally eat some of Jesus' flesh. You can think about that for yourself if you want to. But you really already know the answer to this question. When Jesus passed the cup and broke bread for his disciples to eat at the Last Supper, he did not use his actual flesh and blood. The bread and wine were symbols of something Jesus was trying to instill in his disciples. Here's the question I ask myself. Was Jesus instituting a practice, a ceremony, or a ritual using symbols to help us remember the sacrifice he was about to make? Did he want us to eat a piece of bread to remember him by? Or did he want us to partake of the bread of life, the word of God, be nourished by it and share it with others? Was he asking us to drink a sip of wine or grape juice to remember him? or to participate and take part in the sacrifice he made by making those same kinds of sacrifices in our lives. 
In other words, did Jesus want us to remember him through the material symbols of bread and wine, or did he want us to adopt a mindset to eat and be nourished by the bread of truth and imbibe the spirit of sacrificing our self-will to God's will? The way you answer this question determines whether or not you use material symbols for communion. I know some churches do, and I know some churches that do not. The danger in not using the symbols of the bread and the wine is that we may not take this participation in Jesus' suffering and victory seriously. The danger in using the symbols is that we may think there is substance in the symbol itself, and it becomes a ritual which then we kind of make a golden calf out of, and it could become a practice that we do without giving the full weight and substance to it that it deserves. And because we've gone through the outward motions and participated with the symbols, we think we have participated in communion, but it doesn't automatically mean that we have participated spiritually with Jesus in his suffering and his victory. Jesus wanted his disciples to remember him and the sacrifice he made and to participate with him in that. He expected us to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Again, not literally, but spiritually. And I totally agree with this. There is such immense blessing in drinking the cup of our Lord and eating the bread of life. But the more I read these passages and notice Luke's added requests made by Jesus to do these things in remembrance of him, the more I've pondered what Jesus really wanted us to do. In the church I grew up in, when we had communion, the focus was all on Jesus and what he did for us. But I wondered, why did I need to drink a little jigger of grape juice and eat a tiny wafer to remember and participate with Jesus? If I was participating with Jesus spiritually, why did I need a material symbol? I know this is a sacred practice for most of the Christian world, and different churches observe communion in a wide variety of ways, and it can be an incredibly moving experience when entered into with a pure heart and a motive to honor and remember Jesus. And I would not take that away from anyone. So my question is, Why do Christians take this command of Jesus so literally, to eat bread and drink wine, but don't take literally the other command found in the book of John to wash each other's feet? I think it's interesting that John does not relate the bread and wine part of the Last Supper and that none of the other Gospels talk about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. When they had finished eating, Jesus got up from the table and he took off his clothes and wrapped a towel around himself. He started washing their feet. The disciples were flabbergasted. Here was their Lord and Master taking on the role of a slave to do the most menial task of washing their feet. They felt it was way beneath his dignity. Peter at first balked at this gesture and refused to let Jesus act in this servant role to him. Fortunately, Jesus explained why it was important and Peter relented. I can almost see the disciples sitting there stunned by what had just happened. They had no clue what Jesus was doing. But Jesus had an important lesson to share with them, and as was often the case, he used simple things, in this case, washing feet to teach 
deep spiritual lessons. This is in John thirteen twelve through 16 When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. Obviously, they did not. Verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. In about two months, Jesus would send his disciples out into the world to preach with authority and power. He did not want them to get egotistical about it. Washing their feet would be a reminder for them to have a servant mindset in their ministry. So Jesus says we're supposed to follow his example of washing each other's feet. Does this mean we should go around literally washing each other's feet on Communion Sunday? Why not? It happened at the Last Supper, and Jesus said we should do this for each other. If we take the bread and wine literally, why don't we take the foot washing literally? One is just as much a symbol of how Jesus wanted us to think and act as the other. I've heard some pretty fancy theological footwork trying to explain why the church as a whole still uses bread and wine, or grape juice as the case may be, at a communion service, but does not have everyone come up and get their feet washed. There are some churches who do this occasionally, but in general, it's not really a common practice. And I have nothing against the church using the symbols of bread and wine. If you find that a meaningful practice, great. I hope and pray that it's not just a ritual of outward symbols, but that it helps you draw closer to Jesus and live your life in unity with Christ. Obviously, the lesson of the foot washing is to be of service to each other. If Jesus acted as a servant, we're not better than him. We're not more important than our Lord and Master. So if he can wash feet, so can we. If Jesus can be of service to mankind, then we come as servants as well. And that's an important thing to remember. One time years ago, I was talking to a friend who had been to a a spiritual retreat in Coe, Switzerland. It was in conjunction with an organization called Moral Rearmament. They're now called Initiatives of Change. My friend was telling about how this very high-up archbishop probably, I guess, from the Anglican Church in England, had come to this conference, and he was waiting tables and pouring people's water and taking their dishes. And everybody was so amazed, but this archbishop had this wonderful sense of being of service to people. And I think that's the spirit that Jesus is talking about in the washing of feet. So for me, that archbishop was participating in communion with Christ as he was doing that. He was partaking of the body of Christ. Communion, or participation, to use that original meaning of the Greek word, should be a way of life, a way of thinking, a mindset, every day, throughout the day. You don't have to wait for Communion Sunday to partake and participate in the Lord's Supper. 
the substance of what the Lord's Supper is all about is so much more than just eating bread and drinking wine or washing feet. Is it possible to have this substance and spirit of participating with Jesus in his suffering and victory and service without the symbols of bread and wine and foot washing? Of course. But if you do, I hope you'll take the Spirit with you into each day. If you celebrate communion without the symbols of bread and wine, it's just as important to remember to bring the spirit of the bread and wine into every day of your life. Another term that people use in observing communion in many churches is called celebrating the Eucharist. I love this word, Eucharist. In Greek, it means gratitude. The best way to take communion to participate with Jesus is to express gratitude for all that he's done for us. It's to take his teachings and live them in our daily lives, to eat them up, so to speak, and make them our own. It's to drink in the spirit of Jesus surrendering to God's will in everything we do. The next time your church or faith community celebrates the Lord's Supper in whatever way that may be, I encourage you to imbibe and partake of the deep spiritual essence of what the bread and wine represent. Let it fill your heart and let it overflow into your life. Thank you so much for listening. I so appreciate you being here each week. And this is week six of our prayer project, 22 Ways to Pray with the Mindset of Jesus in 2022. The aspect of Jesus' mindset that we're looking at is from Matthew 13, verses 10, 11, and 13. The disciples came to Jesus and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. This is why I speak to them in parables, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. Jesus knew that if he spoke the pure language of spirit, people wouldn't understand what he was talking about. So he talked to them with simple analogies and metaphors. He called them parables to explain relationships and what things were like in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not literally a wheat field that someone sows tares in, and it's not literally a woman baking bread and putting yeast in there, or a man finding a very expensive pearl. These were just metaphors, language that people could understand. So how does that relate to you and me? How can we adopt this aspect of Jesus' mindset as we pray this week? Well, when you're talking to someone, and you want to share a deep spiritual thought or something that's been helpful to you, you may need to translate what you're saying into language that the other person can understand. In other words, don't just talk in your own church lingo. Somebody you're talking to may be coming from a completely different background, a completely different perspective on the world, and you might end up making up a parable about a football game, or the way a computer program works, or the parable of the traffic light. I actually did a whole podcast episode called The Parable of the Unbaked Cake, and I'll put that link in the show notes. It was a parable. It just brought out 
an idea by telling a story. So think about this week as you're praying and as you're sharing the inspiration that God has given you with someone else. Think of a way to put that in their language so they can understand it. Because the underlying mindset that would do that is about loving your neighbor as yourself. The real governing motive is love, wanting someone to understand. Thank you so much for participating in this. If you haven't printed out your copy of 22 Ways to Pray with the Mindset of Jesus in 2022, you can find those at thebiblespeakstoyou.com forward slash 117. It's on episode 117. There's a link there to click where you can download a PDF and print it out. Put it on your refrigerator, put it in your purse, wherever is handy, so you'll remember all week long to be praying along with this. There are people all over the world working on this prayer project, and I hope you will be joining us. Again, I want to thank you so much for being here today and listening. If you think of anyone that might appreciate this episode, please share it with them. If you haven't yet subscribed to the Bible Speaks to You podcast, please go to the website, thebiblespeakstoyou.com, and click on the subscribe tab in the menu bar, fill out the form, and you're all set. That way you'll be on my email notification list and you'll never miss an episode. And if you have any questions or comments about today's episode or anything about the Bible, or if you just need a little spiritual encouragement, please reach out to me. Go to the website again and click on the contact tab up in the menu bar. Let me know what's on your heart and I'll be in touch. I would love to hear from you. As always, I'll have in the show notes for today's episode all the scripture references that I quoted today or referred to. You can find those at thebiblespeakstoyou.com forward slash 122. This is episode 122. Again, I want to thank you for being here today and listening and sharing and all your support you've given. I am so grateful for you. That's it for today. I'm James Early with the Bible Speaks to You podcast. Have a great week. Take care. We'll see you next time. God bless. God bless.